because uh, as, I, as, I, as I explained, I think a couple, couple sermons ago, I hope to spend a little bit more time in those commandments that have a longer explanation as to the nature of the commandment and the intent behind the commandment, as well as some of the, uh, uh, some of the reasons and uh, motivations for keeping uh, the commandment, both for blessing and of cursing, and that uh, number uh, two and number four, commandments number two and number four are especially on that way. Also, uh, commandment number ten has a great number of words. But uh, the, the Ten Commandments has this preface, uh, God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and then the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, the second one, which we will preach this evening, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me and showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray. Lord, as uh, these commandments are just and true and good, we pray that we might our, uh, rejoice in them, that our souls might receive them as light, not darkness, as, as sweetness, not, not bitterness, uh, uh, with gladness, Lord, and rejoicing always. And um, we pray that you would do so by your Spirit to open up these, these uh, pages of Scripture that we might truly draw near to you in, in spirit and truth, not in uh, our own imaginations, not uh, by our own wills, but according to your will and uh, worshiping you, Lord, as you enjoy being worshiped. We pray your help, open every heart, open every ear. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. We've been studying the second commandment, and you know, we, we are not a, <laughs> we're not a large congregation here this evening and I think it just it's it, it's frightening to me actually it's frightening the condition of so many churches today in North America and as reformed people we uh, of course make the distinction between uh, those uh, principles of worship that came out of the reformation and we look back and we see a great deal of uh, of uh, confusion and uh, uh, irregularity, disorder, disobedience in what was one time our mother church, the Roman church. But I don't know how we can call most churches today in North America Protestant. Just no way. Unless they're protesting against God now instead of the Pope. Because uh, the... The worship of most churches, evangelical churches today, have given themselves over to, to lawlessness. And the danger here, as I will explain, is as follows. that We may think that God is not present here and not able to defend himself against abuses to the first table of the Ten Commandments. first table concerns his person, sins against God. When we sin against our brothers and neighbors in the second table, Commandments uh, 5 through 10. Uh, sometimes there is swift justice and retribution for our sins and our crimes. But in the scriptures, if you know the sacred history, God deals most severely with individuals that pervert the first table of his law. And that can be shown in any number of studies. Yes, idolaters, fornicators, yes, liars, all of these will be excluded from the, from the heavenly realm. Uh, but my friends, in the history of the world, the biggest problem with nations tumbling down, being trampled, and being thrown and cast into exile has, has been the worship of false gods, the breach of the first commandment, and the breach of the second commandment in will worship, and worshiping God in any which way that people please. And I think we're very, very dangerously close to that point now in America. 
So uh, let me review for, uh, for you the proposition here that we've been reading. The second commandment, it prohibits the uses of, of images. And, and that is, I, I would say, uh, being the head uh, of that class of sin. It is the worst extreme of that class of sin. So if you represent, for instance, God who is spirit by an image, it's an utter, utter lie. And as I mentioned earlier in a, pre a previous preaching, you, you can't possibly, you can't possibly make an image of Trinity. You can't even conceive of Trinity, much less uh, work it out. Uh, but that's the worst. That's, that's, that's the extreme. For instance, uh, uh, you know, in the commandment not to uh, kill. The commandment not to kill uh, has to do uh, with taking a life. But if you hate someone, says the Lord Jesus, that is murdering your heart. The most extreme is the one that is uh, headed up in the commandment written in stone. Other uh, varieties, less extreme, are contained within the commandment. And as I read from the Westminster Larger Catechism, uh, the commandments do overlap. So just keep that in mind. It prohibits the use of image and any other manner not specified in the Word of God. And as uh, is, is true of all commandments, Old Testament and New Testament, the obedience of the believer brings forth God's blessing, not of his wages, not as anything merited. No, it is not of works to the believer. The blessings are received graciously because God is pleased with us and would, would love to, to give us that blessing. Those who obey these, uh, these commandments are blessed, and those who throw them behind and disobey them, they are subject to God's curse, wrath, and judgment. If the believers are never going to be uh, ultimately cursed to the point of condemnation, but they will be severely uh, disciplined. The rest of the nations that do not have the covenant of grace, should they uh, disregard these commandments, they will be utterly, utterly abashed. All right, so God must be worshipped only in the matter which he commands in his word. Uh, we studied that and we featured, especially in the New Testament, the very important teaching that Paul gives to the Colossian, the church's Colossae, uh, about uh, certain uh, what they would call spiritual practices that uh, have a lot of rigor to them, fastings and uh, different kinds of uh, severe treatments of the body which uh, Paul says in Colossians 2.23, these have indeed an, uh, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Self-made religion or uh, will worship, as, as the old English used to phrase it. Uh, they, these, they have an appearance uh, that they might do some good uh, in promoting will worship and asceticism, severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, uh, the reason that they, they, these practices are, are of no value is that they are not ordinances of God. God has not called for these things in his worship. His spirit is not in it. And if his spirit is not in any of these ordinances, there is no advantage to the believer. There is no mortifying the flesh. Nothing by the way of, tr of true uh, sanctification comes out of it. Uh, and, and so it is utterly vain worship. It is condemned in the second Commandment. That's Colossians 2.23. That will govern most of what I will say tonight, but I'll have some other, some other places to go. All right. I, I mentioned also not only that uh, the worship can be only in that matter which God uh, asks for, you must have a warrant. You must have a biblical warrant, book, chapter, and verses. You must cite them either by directly reading them or by good and necessary consequences and, uh, uh, arrived at that through, through good logic. Now, uh, we also see that uh, God's zeal for his own worship is clearly demonstrated in Scripture. And these are warnings to us. God is, is jealous over his own possession. He took Israel out of Egypt at a high cost. And he made a difference between the Egyptians uh, and the uh, covenant people of God, the, the, the Jews, the Israelis. And uh, he took care of them as his as a shepherd. He, he, he as, a, as a brooding hen, he would gather them under his wings. He fed them, he watered them, etc. He gave them prophets a great deal of attention. 
And when you think of who God is and his majesty, uh, even looking down as far as this uh, miserable earth full of miserable sinners, that in itself would be an, uh, an amazing act of condescension on the part of God, uh, most good and most loving. And yet when he uh, continues to do that patiently and forbearing with his creatures who are errant, well, uh, there we see that uh, you can provoke God very, very much. Once he gives you the best prophet of all, Moses, and you, and you ignore him in the wilderness, no wonder those bodies dropped like flies. That's what we have uh, as an example for his, uh, God's zeal toward his own worship. That is to say, he must be worshipped in the way that he prescribes. And this not only in the Old Testament. Now, we did mention the Old Testament, uh, Exodus 32, the golden calf. No sooner had Moses gotten the Ten Commandments, <laughs> the Lord says to him, you better go down. He said, your people <laughs> down there. It's your people, and look what they're doing. Oh, no, it's a big mess. The case of Nadab and Abihu, again, you may think, well, it's, you know, the Lord is zealous for his own worship, so were Nadab and Abihu. They wanted to get on and sacrifice. They, they didn't use the sacrificial fire from the altar. They produced their own. It was The Bible calls it strange fire, and uh, that was prohibited, and the Lord, the Lord took them. The Lord, the Lord purged them. He killed them. Um, Jehovah's retribution was swift and just, and it's because these men were priests and they had had instruction. The more you're given, the more that you are accountable for. Aaron was not even allowed to mourn his son's death. The case of Uzzah touching the ark, covered that. You might uh, mention that was a story uh, R.C. Sproul had in his book called The Holiness of God. Uh, the ark was to be moved by, uh, uh, by placing these long poles through uh, the eyelets. Uh, the ark could have moved, been moved, moved that way. It, would, it could be, if it's a mobile ark, it could be moved, but it must not be touched, not even by a priest, not even by excuse. Intent matters nothing. And you see uh, that the Lord took Uzzah and David was, well, he was upset with God. And he greatly wondered how we were going to ever get this ark back to Jerusalem. Later on, uh, we see Israel offering blemished victims. You know, they were to bring lambs and goats and bulls. Uh, the temptation is to give the Lord something that costs you nothing. The temptation is to get off with an easy believism. Oh, I'll bring a lamb and maybe I'll sneak it on through. Maybe the priest won't see that this one has a has scurvy or blight. And this, one is, this one actually limps when it walks. This one has a a hoof infection, you know, you can't offer those. The Lord will not receive that because it's a matter of the heart. The Lord knows whether there's love in what you're offering him or whether, uh, no, you're just going through the motions. And especially in his public worship, the temptation is, even among the Reformed, oh, we've got all the elements right. Oh, we're doing everything right. But your hearts are across the street. Or, or even further away. So we have to be very careful, ask the Lord, the Spirit, to, to, to direct our hearts unto the worship of God, okay? Um, the worship of God in the Ten Commandments, you might think, well, this is all external religion, because there's so many ceremonies that are external. But as I, as I, as I preached in the introduction to the Ten Commandments, the, com the commandments are spiritual, and they reach the inner person because God himself in his essence is spiritual. And these commandments have to do with the moral excellence of God. That is to say, his being, not his will. His will exercising positive law. We're about to speak to that, to that in a minute. But as far as his being, and as far as our being, we are moral beings. That is to say, we are good. We are uh, we're interested in uprightness, we're interested in righteousness, we're interested in justice and goodness, and that is morality. And, uh, and so spirituality has to do with, the, with those inner movements of what is right and what is wrong in our thoughts, in our affections, our emotions. Uh, we are not merely passive in what we choose to think about, what we choose to set our hearts upon. We are, we are very, very much uh, uh, responsible for the inward musings of our heart. 
It's not just chemistry in our brains, chemistry in our endocrine systems. Uh, we are not machines and we are not animals. We are moral agents in the image of God. And so that must be reflected. And the way it's reflected is in, by, spiritual, uh, by spiritual inquiry, uh, laws governing spiritual righteousness and, uh, and wickedness. All right? Now, the case with Nadab and Abihu in, in Leviticus 10 is not merely that they put, picked up strange fire. That, that would be the external breach. Uh, but the, the, the reason that uh, God took them was not only for the breach, but the Lord knew that they didn't, have, they didn't have reverence for God. They did not give God the glory, the weight of the words that, that God merits by his instruction. And so the Lord said to Moses, I, I will be sanctified by those that draw near me. In other words, everybody that draws near me to worship has got, has got to understand that, that I am different, that I am so different that my ways may not be his ways, may not be Nadab and Abihu's ways, and they must, they must reference who I am. I will be sanctified. I will be sanctified by those who draw near me. So many times I see videos of people that worship, and it's like they're in a movie theater. They're looking around and chewing gum. You know, they're walking around. We need to sanctify God, or we're going we're gonna to go the way of Nadab and Abihu. We don't have to light strange fire for that. God is not, God is not pleased with, with his frivolity. It's not, it's not a fun thing. We're not here for fun. We're here for glory. We're not even, we're not even here for glamour. We're here for, for the reverence of God and his glory. And being oblivious of the glory of the presence of the Lord is what got Isaiah in problem. Isaiah in chapter 6, you remember he, he had that vision of the Lord. And uh, in the year the king Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. There's a lot of amazing imagery there if you consider uh, the Lord himself filling the cosmos, which is uh, uh, what the temple, temple was, uh, was about. The glory of the Lord is everywhere. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Two he covered his face. face two he covered his feet. With two he flew and one said to the other, Holy, 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 is the Lord God of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. See, any, at any time, the Lord can pull back the curtain, an apocalypse, and he can demonstrate his glory. The, way, the glory that we should be seen by faith, because we are actually in the company of those seraphs, of the burning ones, of the angels covering their eyes and their feet with the wings. We're in the company of, of, of righteous, uh, the spirits of righteous men made perfect. We've come to Mount Zion. That's at the gathered church in Christ. That's where we are. We are before the throne of God. Okay. And so we have to keep that in mind. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet. He was no doubt a good prophet. No, no doubt he was a good man and very pious. But when he saw what was really, what, what worship was really about, he despised himself. He completely humiliated himself and folded. We need to be broken that way. We can't disregard or discount the holiness of Jehovah within his temple. We can't be presuming any worthiness or righteousness of ourselves in his presence. And any lack of humility for personal sin or even at times humiliation, abject humiliation and confession of sin. That, my friends, the Lord is near to the broken heart. The, the, the broken man, a broken spirit the Lord will not despise. Offer that in your offering plate. Offer God not money, but a broken heart for your wayward ways. And then you will be offering righteous sacrifices in the spirit. Isaiah 29. The, the, the Old Testament was famous for this. Isaiah 29, 13 and 14. 
Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. See, they're not, they don't have any warrant for what they're doing. They're setting up new practices there in the temple. That's why Jesus rode in and, and overturned the money tables and had to you know, clean, clean house. The Lord literally cleaned house. They have no fear of me. This is the fear of me is a command of my men, of, of the commandment taught by men. Therefore, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be hidden. When God brings about a famine of the Word of God, and He makes our seminaries cemeteries, that's when we know that something very perverse has gone wrong, and the first place to check is the worship of God. That's the first place to check. Worship with, uh, without repentance and new, and new obedience. I, I, I said in my last uh, pastor's note, I hope you can read that. I know you guys have a lot of uh, things to read. I don't like to read a whole lot. I get a lot of email messages, hundreds and hundreds every week, more and more since now I'm on Facebook. Um, uh, nevertheless, I write these things uh, in my pastor's note, uh, things pertaining to the preaching series, which, which will supplement what we have here in the pulpit. But I said there that uh, there are two types of, uh, of worship. One is your daily worship. Six days we work and do all uh, our labors. And the seventh is the Sabbath. Sabbath, we come here. This is the, the public worship, the regular principle of worship, the regular principle of worship. Outside, though, the Bible still regulates all of our lives. And so if we are leading the holy lives before the Lord, and keeping his laws and his commandments day in and day out, repenting when we fail, confessing sin, drawing close to God, then we are fit worshipers. And then we can come before the Lord on the Lord's day. Otherwise, if we're lawless, the Lord will not receive our best forms, our best outward forms as anything in his sight. This is this is Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah's main concern, his main complaint against Israel. And the Lord is speaking through Isaiah, and, he's, and the Lord says through Isaiah to Israel, when you come to appear before me, that is to say in assembly, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I can't endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. That's a scary thought. That the Lord should utterly, utterly ignore our prayers. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Did you think that has any application? I could maybe comment on a few things about so many churches supporting abortion. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. In other words, repent and begin to do good and uh, cease from doing evil. And then the Lord will receive the prayers of your hands, because your hands will be clean. You've repented. The blood will wash you clean. Now, those are Old Testament concerns. New Testaments, again, uh, we have concerns regarding worship. A lot of it is not repeated simply because much of the moral principles taught in the Old Testament carry into the New Testament. There's no dividing wall here between the moral statutes regarding God's worship in the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament. What kind of a crazy theology posited that heresy? Moral theology has to do with the essence of God, and God never changes. And so his worship, his moral worship, never changes. And that is just fundamental theology. Okay? New Testament cases regarding worship, we've got Jesus correcting the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. That was a, a, an important land feature for the Samaritans. Uh, for, for that people, they they were they were uh, half Jewish blood and uh, half half uh, Assyrian blood, or perhaps Syrian blood. Uh, as Jesus points out there, 
because a woman says, look, uh, you're a Jew, you're a teacher, I have a question for you. Uh, you Jews say that Jerusalem, uh, that's, where, that's where God will be worshipped. Well, here we, we worship on this mountain. And Jesus says, look, the day has come and now it's here where uh, neither at Jerusalem nor in this mountain uh, Jehovah will be worshipped because now the Lord, the Lord it will be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So location is no longer important. Uh, but people continue, some Christians begin, uh, continue to have a notion that there is some place holier than another. Uh, no. God is holy. And if you consecrate yourself, truly, whatever ground that you stand on and worship God, that ground is holy. And if saints come in with consecrated hearts, of course, when they're in their gathering, that becomes a sanctuary because the saints are in it and it's holy. Otherwise, it's a, it's a bunch of lumber in here. All right, location is no longer important. Race is no longer a determinant. The Jew is no more qualified any longer than the Samaritan. A Samaritan is no less qualified than a Christian in North, in North America if he is a Christian. Race is no longer a matter. Antiquity, though, antiquity, see, is not a reliable standard of true worship, of orthodoxy. The Samaritans were long, long worshiping with God, uh, their, their idea of God, uh, only with the five books, the first five books of Moses. And uh, they had that testimony. They accepted none of the prophets and none of the Psalms, and of course, and knew nothing of the tabernacle of da uh, the, the Temple of David. And, uh, but antiquity is not a reliable uh, standard of orthodoxy. The only r rule of faith and practice is the scriptures. And the only way that we are understanding the scriptures is to have the mind of Christ and the intent of the Holy Spirit in writing it. Um, I've already alluded to this, but 2 Timothy 3 and verses 2 through 5 speaks of the, uh, of the men of the last, last days. I, I, as you read this, it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is some insight. It just seems like we're talking about post-COVID. Listen to this. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now here's the one that nails me, number five. Having the appearance of godliness. In all this, they keep some kind of religion, but denying its power. That is to say, the power to put it to death the deeds of the body, the power uh, to repent. Okay? And Paul says to Timothy, you know, avoid, avoid such people, avoid such people. Lawlessness has very, very much to do with... Uh, breaking the second commandment. If we are lawless, we've broken all, all the remaining commandments of the moral law. We are not fit for the worship of God and we will by default by default breach the second commandment. Um, now, regarding the second commandment, it's a moral commandment, but uh, as far as those things that are called out for God's worship in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, the, the, the particulars uh, that point to or relate to this moral law in the second commandment are positive law. That is to say, and I've already explained what that is, I've defined it as, as law that's not based on the essence of God's moral being, but it's a law that's based on God's will as himself being absolute, supereminent Lord. In other words, it is very much the case that he doesn't have to explain, he doesn't have to explain to us his positive law, simply because he's Lord. Now, he doesn't have to explain to, uh, to us the moral law, because as moral creatures, we understand, we relate to the moral law. We can understand why we shouldn't kill our neighbors. God doesn't have to explain a whole lot there. We can understand that if, if God is only one, that we should only worship the one true God. That makes sense to us. But as to a positive law, such as a singing of psalms, why do you want singing? Why are you asking for, that's a positive law. No, in a sense, we could even begin to guess and we can speculate, but he doesn't tell us. It's positive law. 
All right. Now, the articles that we're talking about are such things as the call to worship, the prayers and singing, reading of scripture, uh, preaching, sacraments, vows, benediction. I know if you're here and you are not in the church leadership as an elder uh, or a minister, I'm, I'm not, there's nothing I can say except uh, because you don't, you don't design the worship. But you should not occasion yourself uh, to, to be at churches. If you can do better, attend a church where these things are in place. And if they're omitted, or if other things are substituted, you are culpable before God in attending a bad worship. So choose your house of worship carefully. Omission of these elements of worship when they are appropriate. Now, a positive law uh, is not always appropriate. It's not always appropriate to serve uh, uh, vows, to have vows. It's, it may not be... It may not be uh, Appropriate to uh, to always have sacraments. We can't always arrange for baptism, for instance. Okay, um, but omissions of these elements, when appropriate and when the provision of providence allows for it, it breaks the second commandment. Churches that meet on the Lord's day as a gathered body, without a call to worship, and all they do is sing to God, and all they do is pray. And all of a sudden, and, you know, you find out at the end of the of the end of the, that evening, you know, we didn't hear from God at all. There, there was no reading of the Bible. There was no preaching. There was no. We didn't hear any benediction, the Lord, but we didn't hear it all from God, and we were at His house. And if, if that's not like a, if that's not a radical takeover of the Lord's house, I don't know what. Okay, omission of the elements when appropriate breaks the second commandment. Now, here's a very simple app, uh, example by application. This is a very, very simple uh, example, and I'll, I'll, I'll parse it out for you. Ephesians 5, and verse 19, and also Colossians 3, verse 16. Ephesians 5 says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3, 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, so those are all instructions. Some of them uh, of more, of course, moral, uh, that, that we know God and that we worship Him with thankfulness. It, those are moral instructions. Uh, however, let's just point out that both of these readings call out for singing. Now, some of you are very good singers and you don't have any problem singing. Some of you are very bad singers and probably think you can't sing, and I tend to believe that you can't sing. So let me address that, uh, that possibility first. If you really can't sing, let's say you've got a diseased vocal uh, cord or something, check your hearts before the Lord and ask Him, Lord, do I really desire to sing? In heaven, when I'm glorified, will I enjoy singing? Do I want to sing? I would say with Augustine and all of our desires, if our desires are pure and, and, and we find ourselves wanting to obey the will of God but are, are hindered, we're singing. Just explaining that to the deacon or the elder that comes by and saying, sir, why are you not singing? <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, all right. But you get, some other, you get some other situations. I'm too sad to sing. Or some don't sing because it's a form of protest. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm angry at this church. I'm not going to sing. I'm, 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 I'm like a warbler that's, uh, that's molting. I'm molting. I'm not ready to call my female, so I'm not singing. I don't approve of the song. I don't, I don't like the song. What was the song? Uh, look, over, look over the bulletin first. And, and you, have, you have the Covenant Weekly that shows you all the lyrics. And, and you can learn them if you don't know the song. If you don't know the song, uh, you can download it. The music is there. It, there's a computer or a robot or something that plays this. You can, learn, you can learn the melody if you take time. If you don't know the piece, okay, well, maybe next time I repeat pieces often as your, as your minister putting the bulletin together. Um, take an interest in music. You know, uh, Luther said that uh, uh, aside from theology, after theology, the most beautiful of all studies is music. And so you've got plenty of time. You, you youth, you, you young people, learn how to read music. Learn how to read music well. 
It's a huge part of the worship of God. So I, I, you know, I don't understand how, I really don't understand how ministers excuse themselves at this point. They don't take any interest in learning music. And it's just a language. And they'll learn Greek, and they'll use it a little bit. But the music, they use a whole lot. Uh, by the way, if you ever leave another, this church go another, why don't you exhort your ministers? Hey, what? hey, listen, here's an idea. Why don't you learn how to sing music, read music? Singing. You are required to sing. But, uh, and not by proxy. Uh, the Lord says you, uh, you can sing and you can hire a singer to do the singing for you, and it's by proxy. We'll have special music. We have this lovely lady over here. She's wearing a lovely dress. And she has a beautiful voice. And she will sing to God. And perhaps to you, too. But see, this is a special music singer. And by giving her the right to sing, the way well, she's not going to sing. Now, the rest of you congregation, the scripture says singing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But I say, no, you be quiet. At this point, you shut up. Because this one's singing. That's will worship. I've just overthrown the will of God. I don't have any warrant to say you sing and the congregation, the bride of Christ, remains silent. Does that not irritate you? That's, that's very bold. What about choirs? It's the same thing. You know, I, my tendency is most choir pieces that are being sung, I mean, I've learned one place or another, I'll sing along. I'll sing the bass line sometimes, I'll sing the tender line if I know the lyrics especially. And can someone tell me not to? I, I guess I'm in bad. I, I guess I'm disorderly and bad etiquette, but I can't. I don't respect that. I don't respect the rule of tyrants in God's church. I don't. Singers represent the congregation uh, worshiping for the Lord. No, the, the bride needs no other representing besides Christ. That's that's what we mean by a mediator. The mediator takes all our prayers takes all our singing and perfumes them and perfects them before the Lord. We don't need another mediator before the mediator. We are not Roman Catholics. We don't need Mary running to Jesus, her son, and saying, oh, please. And yet we do. Let's think about what we're doing at worship. Oh, listen, I can't sing while I'm playing the instrument. I've got a clarinet. Well, the Lord says that singing psalms and hymns and spiritual. Oh, I see. You've got, a, you've got a wind instrument in your mouth. Oh, why don't you set it down? Oh, no, but I, this is my gift. It's my talent. I have, I'm talented. The Lord has given me this talent. I have a moral imperative to play and blow. I'd like to sing, but I'm blowing. Really? How, how different is that from Nadab and Abihu? Nadab and Abihu? How different is that? Just think about that. The intentions with Nadab and Abihu didn't govern, didn't help them at all. Not at all. All right? That's, that's, that's the instruction to sing. What about singing psalms? Some churches will think that that's not appropriate for New Testament worship. The reason they sing it's not appropriate is that their theology has so moved from the biblical theology that they cannot reconcile what they're singing with anything having to do with the church today. They don't know the typology. They don't know the history of the Old Testament. They, they don't know the law. They don't know that they are to be asking the Lord to bless his people and to curse the wicked. They are ruling with Christ in heavenly places, and yet they abdicate their rule by not singing any psalms that uh, will imprecate against the wicked. And the Lord is imprecating against the wicked and his mediatorship. He's defending the church as, as the mediator of the church, and he's absolutely deprecating the wicked. And he's making them below their foot, his footstool. But the church ruling with Christ won't do that. And so they do not have the mind, they do not have the spirit of Christ. They do not understand the very main hymnal of the book of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying we should, we should sing songs exclusively. That's not, that's not what I understand the Bible to be saying. But to dismiss them completely... There are, there are churches that will not sing any. If they don't understand the psalms, the, that's what the ministry is here for. The ministry is to teach 
what God is explaining as uh, in those psalms. Unknown melody, I, I mentioned before. The psalm, uh, there are some s- small snippets that may be used that, again, speak of God's uh, benevolence, his benefits. All these things are marvelous. But the hard sayings, the, the sayings that really take faith and fidelity, uh, those are often omitted because uh, they just don't, they just don't sound, they sound abrasive to the ears of New Testament worshipers. Only select psalms, no penitential psalms. Well, because we're already accepted in the beloved, why? We're back to the worm theology where all this is, is extreme humiliation of sin and all. Well, yes, because God is holy and we, and we, need, we, need, to, we need to bow before him in reverence. See, dispensational theology and, uh, and the dispensation hermeneutic avoids this kind of positive law. And so it breaks the moral law of the second commandment. Instruments, uh, I, I mentioned in, uh, in tangent here regarding singing, but instruments, th- these were instituted by Christ, by, excuse me, by David and not Moses. These were brought into the temple and not the tabernacle. They are priestly, not for every person in the Old Testament. Uh, these are, this is not a license to use instruments. It is a prescription to use these precise instruments and play these precise melodies and these precise lyrics. It's very prescriptive. It is more restrictive than what we have in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have the liberty of the sons of God. We can sing what the Psalms teach. Okay? New Testament worship, then, however, flows out of the Jewish synagogue, not the temple. A great deal of study is given in the, in the churches today as to the forms and uh, the rites and the glory of the temple. And we are, in our imagination, sore with, with the beauty of, of, the, of, of the, and the decorations and, uh, and the music and, and the aromas, the smells and the bells. And yet, God, the moral worship of God from the beginning has been the gathering of his people, the synagogue, the coming together of the people. It's the synagogue that carries the moral worship of God and not the temple. The temple, as we are preaching in Matthew, is, it's coming down. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no temple. But we're already in the new heavens and the new earth if we are raised with Christ in the spirit. So what, is all this, what does all this ceremonial stuff have to do with anything? Well, it has to do nothing. Unless you like the slavish, the slavish things of those things that are about to perish. But if you enjoy who you really are in Christ, you will soar and will need nothing but God, his spirit, and his word, and no other accoutrements. You'll be pleased that you met with God when God is enough for you. The first two centuries admitted no musical instruments in the worship of God whatsoever. The first two Christian centuries, and that's well documented. Uh, I could go into other things where we spoil the worship of God, abounding with holy days and holidays. The Lord's Day is the only holy day. Okay. Uh, again, importing the, the sensuality, the, the exquisite ceremonialness, the beauty of the temple worship, candles, incense, ceremonial robes, facing east, altars, Colors representing the, the, the calendar year, purple for this, green for that, and white for that. that, that those, are, those are things that perish. That is not the attire of the souls of righteous men made perfect. Other examples? I mean, this is very much touching on the moral and not this, the, uh, the positive. The pictures of Jesus in the vicinity of the worshiping congregation. Now we've got we've got churches in our denominations, huge pictures, huge huge tiles and huge glassworks of the Lord, which you cannot possibly but be looking at when you're worshiping. They need to be coming down. These these might have been told as much, but they still remain. Dance, drama, videos, light effects, sound effects, fog machines. Uh, I mean, why not just let's just go out Friday? Let's go out Friday night and disco dance. Let's just. Let's just go out and dance. That's fine. You can dance, but not here. Non-elders leading uh, in the worship. 
women leading in worship completely defined the covenantal structure of both covenants. Worship is always elder-led in the scriptures. Even if it were not stated explicitly, examples are morally binding. When God, and when Paul commands Timothy, the woman is not allowed to speak or to hold authority in the church, he is absolutely excluding her from leading uh, in the assembly. Okay? And that's because uh, elders represent the church before God, not as a mediator, but as a, as a principal, uh, as it were, conducting the bride, conducting the bride. Uh, in the voice of the bride, which is the assembled church, the bride, conducting the, the voice of the bride to God, conducting the voice of God in his word to the congregation. Not a mediator, just a principal. Now, we, uh, we, we need to be reminded that these things don't make sense to you. There's no appealing anything to you by way of sense or reason. Because these are positive laws. And God has willed them because he has said so. It's, he is lording it over you. He is. He's saying, I am infinitely above you. And you can't relate to these things. But because these, these laws are positive and not moral, you should not be offended because it doesn't cross anything that you are as a moral being. It has nothing to do with morality. So why are you upset? Why, you, why are you... Why become angry at God? He hasn't crossed your nature because your nature is not involved in these positive laws. You see what I'm saying? If we were telling you, I want you to eat aluminum bolts in my worship, that'd be very crass. Why? Well, your nature knows that you can't eat aluminum. It's not digestible. You are repulsed by that. But all he's saying is to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's really no reason why you shouldn't. And so it's, it's rank rebellion. In, and you are we are irascible when we don't bow before the Lord. It is really will worship because the creature is saying, it's my will or the highway. The will of the creature against God's will and the will of the creature will prevail. Man who is but dust and lower than dust, the creature worships his will before God and therefore it is called will, will worship in the older translations and in the Greek. In the Greek, that's exactly the transliteration. Now, some Christian leaders, they actually today plan. They, this is, they don't fall into breaking. It's not a matter of, oh, I'm sorry, it was, I was done in weakness. It was a, a note of passion. Uh, I, 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 I lost my place. I, I lost my train of thought. A moment of weakness, we decided to do this. No, they plan to break the second commandment because they know that people do not want to bow to the absolute supremacy of God. It is death to the creature who doesn't love God to so be humbled before the Almighty. The Christian enjoys it because he wants to give God the glory. There's something in the creature who is regenerate, who is a Christian, who enjoys God getting the glory as the supereminent Lord of all. Will worship then corrupts the means of grace. It corrupts the ordinances it corrupts and pollutes the very source of strength in the Christian life. It's like being in a desert and you are famished for moisture and someone gives you a drink that has a toxic element in it, say a toxic level of iodine or something, and you are going to suffer by that because you have been poisoned. You're poisoning the soul even when it's looking to be strengthened at worship. Will worship draws God's displeasure for the, for the it, I, could, I, could, I could right on the spot preach a sermon I've been meditating right now on, the, on Solomon. He, Solomon loved the Lord. The Lord loved Solomon. Solomon pleased the Lord in everything he did except for the fact that he still 
he still sacrificed on the high places. Okay? Now the Lord treated him as a son. He still loved Solomon. But Solomon had a lot of discipline in his life, my friends. And at the end, he really, he really hurt. But will worship draws God's displeasure, discipline for, for Christians and wrath to pagans, to nations. And as, and as I said before, this is a very, very dangerous thing, a very dangerous thing to break the first table of the Ten Commandments. All Christian uh, churches then must confess and repent from will worship. This is not an article of the, merely the Reformed faith. It's a universal practice that must be instituted in all churches. We're not Reformed because we want to be Protestant. We're Reformed because we, we love the Scriptures and we want them to rule in all our lives. That's being Reformed, not following some guy with a beard and a weird, crazy hat. Okay? The Greek word, athelotherskia, might as well be a new virus. It's pandemic in evangelical and Reformed churches today. People love it so. They, love, they, they get excited when they go into a gymnasium with flashing lights and fog. But you, you, you must detest what God detests. You, you, you must hate what God hates. And count it as rebellion and the height of pride and complete arrogance. If it's especially in the part of leaders. I mean, the people don't. They don't they've not been instructed. But in the leaders, but I mean, they, they, any seminary could take this and teach it. Now the question for us, my friends, is what, is God not enough for us? Do you, do you believe that God would hold anything back that's good for you? If it were really good for you? I, I mean, God is good. And His goodness is His glory. But the whole the whole questioning of God, whether God is good, you know, that's what, that's what the serpent did in the garden. Well, for God knows that if the day that you eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will know the difference between good and evil. He knows that he's holding back some good for you. And so I'll go ahead with pictures of Jesus and all the tubas you want. 500 tubas. 1,000 tubas. Why not? If God is good and wise, he is a good and wise teacher, and he's given us all in his words sufficient for our weekly obedience to him in the moral law, and on the seventh day, governing all in his worship. Or do you suspect that he's cheating you? He's got a, a, a killjoy. He secretly wants to really be mean to you. He wants you to be sour. Is that, is, that what you, is that sourness in the Holy Spirit? Have you ever seen that? It's, it's joy in the Holy Spirit. It's, it's happiness. It's blessing in the Holy Spirit. The Scripture is a sufficient rule for all of life, but especially, my friends, especially in the worship. And we must have zeal for God's worship. Why? Because God has zeal for His worship. If He didn't have zeal for His own worship, we had no business. We would have no business having worship, zeal for His worship. But that's why I'm preaching so hard in this Second, uh, second commandment. Again, the key is where do you see yourself worshiping? Are you in the spirit raised to the presence of, of God and his throne? Are you in the company of angels? Are you in the company of the spirits of righteous men made perfect? Apostles and prophets and Jesus himself, the mediator, the lamb. Are you there with Jesus as your spiritual leader, the worship leader that's leading and conducting con and conducing the elder, uh, speaking for God and speaking to God on, on our behalf as our mediator? Or are you on Gray Falls Drive? Are you merely in Houston? If you have a carnal view of where you are, they, that will dictate much about your worship. Again, congregational worship. Congregational worship, the worship hour above all transcends sense and time in the New Testament. Not in the Old Testament. There is much, much to be said for sense in the ceremonial worship of the temple. Because the temple had to be sensed to be seen as a type for all that God that is representing of the cosmos and the economy of salvation. It must be sensed because it must be taken in as a type 
But we're not living in shadows anymore, my friends. And people who are insisting, and all of these other accoutrements, insist to be back in the cave, in the dark, in the shadowlands, and never coming out into the full liberty of the sunlight, enjoying some fresh air. That's the difference. Congregational worship, above all, transcends time and sense. We enter by faith. We enter into worship by faith and the spirit. Spiritual things are invisible and into the heavenly places through Christ. And this is why everyone that I've ever trusted as a professor has been uh, severely condemnatory of clock watchers. We don't watch clocks. And our greatest thrill is to lose track of time in God's worship. As our mediator, then Christ always leads the whole church according to his spirit and his words. And in no other manner. And, no, and, and we should never speak of any other kind of, of spiritual leader or worship leader. Christ is the head of the church and leads in all things triumphantly. And we follow him. And my friends, the gospel, this is this is this commandment, although it's law, is central to the promise of the gospel. I, 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 let's go ahead and turn to Ezekiel 37. Or 30, Ezekiel 36. If you have it. Ezekiel 36 and verse 27. This is a promise of the new covenant. That is to say what we're experiencing now in Christ, the covenant of grace. The, the prophecy from Ezekiel 36, verse 27 says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to do my rules. The, the rules are commandments, but the statutes are ordinances. And the ordinances are what we're talking about are positive law. And so the spirit and the word absolutely comply in these things. And it's a, it is very much a fulfillment of the promise of the terms of the new covenant. This is not, this is not legalism. This is actually anti-legalism. This is liberty in the spirit. When you do so, loving God and under the powerful, powerful influence of his spirit, this, and joyfully, there can be no greater, no greater comfort and assurance that you truly are in the faith. It's the fruition of the promise of the new covenant, the gift of the Holy Spirit, evangelical obedience. Neglect this, and you neglect Christ as your worship leader. You break the second commandment. And so we must repent. Now Christ gives his spirit to all who believe in him. And none of this will make any sense to you unless you have the spirit, because honestly, as I said, there's nothing in our nature, human nature, that, that, that resonates with this stuff. It's all by God's will, which is incomprehensible to us as a creature. But if you have the Spirit, then my friends, the Spirit begins to teach you all things, and you have the mind of Christ. You begin to not understand the will of God in a sense, but you begin to comply cheerfully. And as you do, the Lord, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit meet you, and they, they come to the He obeys my word, says, says the Lord. They will come and we will undwell you and we will, we will be with you. We'll make our residence with you. And then you'll be able to see that the Lord is good. When you taste, the, when you believe the Lord's word, when you walk in his ways and you prove him right because he's, he's gracious to you in the way he judges you, then your delight will be in the Lord. And all of these things will come to bear. And this is a blessing for God's people. And there's great danger, not only to ourselves, but to our, our future generations, our children, our children's children, if we do not order the worship of God aright. May God have mercy on his churches and send forth his light and his truth. And may that light and that truth lead everyone to his true sanctuary, to his Zion, his exalted hill. Let's pray. Lord, we have really, went, we have really gone long here, Lord. But we see this as a, a tremendous teaching that is being cast aside more and more.
even by churches that have owned this truth greatly in the past. We pray that, Lord, you would intervene, that you would stay your hand, and, Lord, in your discipline, remember your kindness, and in your discipline, remember your mercy. And now, Lord, abide with us forever. We pray that you be glorified in your church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And sing our last hymn.